Welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Bremleyven. On this show, we talk about B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And we got a good episode for you today because we were talking about marketing tactics from shippers as advice for the carriers and the brokers out there. So direct from the horse's mouth, we are talking about the latest statistics on how you should be reaching out to future or prospective customers in your marketing and communications. And then we are talking about the unsexy but extremely important side of running a freight company. And so with that, we have two guests that are going to be joining us. First, it's going to be Denisha Gray of Transpost CFO. She is talking about accounting and CFO insight. And then we got Nick Salas from Fleet Fleet Drive 360, talking about the compliance side of running a freight company. And then we're going to round out the show with a really good story about some good news about that great Pacific garbage patch. It's one of the, the plastic garbage patch that has, you know, it's like twice the size of Texas and three times the size of France. But there's a company out there that's making really good progress in order to clean all of that mess up. But first, before we jump into our first topic, the Moon Air Group is a leading recruiting firm specializing in the logistics and technology fields. Whether you're looking for a new job in the industry or you're looking to hire top-tier talent, the Moon Air Group has the network strength to meet your needs. Learn more at moonairgroup.com. Now, that first topic that we talked about, the marketing and sales tactics that shippers won't hate. Now, you guys know that if you've watched any episode before, you know that I am a big fan of simplifying your marketing tech stack and simplifying it from the approach to remain, you know, have a really good strategy, but also to remain agile and not, you know, investing a, a ton of money into marketing software that isn't really going to serve you a, a good purpose long term. And we often hear from, you know, different marketing and business leaders in freight of how they're approaching their digital strategy. And, and you can really pick what to what, you know, as we have these marketing leaders on the show, you can sort of pick and choose of who, you know, what parts of their strategy that you want to add into your plan, your overall processes and strategy. But what about on the shipper side of things? How do they prefer and how does your plan of communication really cater to what these shippers want to see? So we're going to answer that in three parts because we have a fascinating new study that just dropped from Logistics Marketing Advisors. It's one of the top episodes of Cyberly that we've ever produced when this study first came out just a couple of years ago. They do this study every two years. So to give you a little bit of perspective on what the data says in that study, I'm going to point to a couple of other articles first. Let's talk about perspective because HubSpot just released their State of Inbound Marketing Trends report, and it surveyed more than a thousand B2B and B2C customers. So HubSpot customers are answering this in their role of either B2C or B2B. And one of the really important takeaway stats that I saw here is that relatable content and authentic behind the scenes content, which BTS, that stands for behind the scenes content, are some of the lowest used content types, but it takes up two out of the three top spots for the most effective types of marketing. Now, in that same study, video consumption is up, but there also aren't enough videos to keep up with the demand of how often people are scrolling different social media apps, they're watching video, and so they want more, but the, de the demand is high, but the value or, or the amount of videos that they're looking for just isn't there. So that was a really important stat that relatable content and authentic BTS content are some of the lowest used 
but have the biggest sort of return on investment, the highest ROI as far as the marketing strategy that you could be implementing. So keep that stat in mind because the next perspective that I want to bring up is this Bloomberg article talking about the rise of the LinkedIn B2B influencer. And I'm going to say a quote from this article because it says LinkedIn has more than 144,000 members with creator as their job title as of December 2021. That is up 16% from the previous year. It's, you know, LinkedIn being more focused on helping creators share stories and engage with audience. And as of July, more than 11 million members have turned on creator mode, a program that LinkedIn started offering in March of 2021 that allows a member to be identified as a content producing authority with a particular expertise. That's really important. So if you are out there creating content and you're posting it to LinkedIn, you need to make sure that you go and you turn that option on on your profile because it opens up additional features that you can share different style or all of your different content. You can highlight the different content that you offer and or or that you're creating and it will profile it more prominently on your LinkedIn profile versus just the traditional profile. So make sure you turn that creator mode on. But that's really interesting that that many people, 11 million members have creator mode turned on and it's only continuing to grow. Now in that same article, there was a source that was quoted. It's called Ogilvy... PR agency. And I know that I just butchered the pronunciation of that name, but forgive me. Um, it's a common occurrence with me. I'm sorry. Uh, but who this, this PR agency has a new B2B influencer package offering. And they were quoted in that Bloomberg article. So they go on to say the reasoning that they started up this B2B influencer focus for their agency is because of a few different stats. So first one, Forbes is showing a growing importance on business influencers. 90% of sales-driven B2B audiences no longer trust sales messages. But 92% of B2B buyers would engage if the professional is a known industry thought leader as what their data is showing. Now, in addition to that, 74% of B2B marketers agree that influencer marketing improves relationships with brands, but only 19% are running ongoing influencer campaigns. So there's an incredible amount for this type of content, but the agencies aren't really running with it yet outside of this agency who's being quoted in this article. And there's an incredible amount of demand and growth for it on this particular platform with LinkedIn. And then the final stat I'll give you is recent research by the research and markets ex- experts estimates that the global B2B influencer marketing has the potential to generate 11 or close to 12 billion by the end of this year, the end of 2022. So this is a space when you think of traditional influencer marketing, maybe you think of Instagram, maybe you think of you know, beauty companies, makeup companies, and they're pitching those or different outfits. That's pretty common on Instagram. But the the ugly truth of that side of it is, is that most of those influencers are making sense on the dollar. I'm talking if you click on someone's profile because you really like their outfit and you go to wherever they, they bought that outfit, you're getting an average of 12 cents per sale. That is pennies. I mean, obviously it's pennies. But if you compare that to somebody who is really affluent in maybe supply chain manufacturing, um, some of these other industries that don't really have a typical influencer in it or hasn't had that, you know, as far as like the mass perception of a B2B influencer, but you're going to make significantly more if you are in the trenches of those industries and you know what software works, you know what functionality works, you know what systems work, and then you can be that consultant, you can be that creator in order to recommend those different platforms, which those platforms are very expensive. They're much more than say a, you know, a 
a container of foundation or not an entire container, but, you know, a bottle of foundation or, you know, an outfit that you bought off of Amazon, the commission rate that you're going to get for recommending a software product is significantly more than, you know, an Amazon outfit that you're going to recommend. So hence the rise of the LinkedIn B2B influencer. Now, I say all of that because it's incredibly important to know what type of marketing strategies are finding the most value, and that is video, behind the scenes, authentic content, relatable content, educational content. Then we're talking about the lack of investment so far from the LinkedIn B2B influencer aspect. So there's a a growing demand for that type of influencer, and yet there aren't that many people doing it yet. So knowing both of those things, that brings us to the Logistics Marketing Advisor study, which there are, there's a bunch of takeaway stats that I could give you. And with the first one that I want to sort of really point out is that over a thousand shippers or over, not a thousand, over a hundred shippers were surveyed, which is still a lot of, a lot of shippers that were, that were surveyed. And the entire study is great. I, I'm going to actually pull some of these stats in order to cover in future stories because I think that they deserve a really long term, you know, or, or an in depth, um, than what I have, you know, sort of the, the time allotment for today. But there are a few things that, you know, especially considering how freight companies approach sales, there's really a lot of uh, opportunity within this space, within this study, in order to optimize your messaging of what's going out into the world and how you can make it more effective. And I think for, for a lot of companies, they really need to put their focus on a few different areas. And that's put a stronger focus on their owned media. So that owned media that you're creating in-house with your executive team, your subject matter experts, maybe your mid-level management. Uh, maybe you have somebody that's in charge of social media within the company that's creating content around the office. Um, all of those things, that owned media that you're creating creating in-house is incredibly important. The next one is something that you want to keep in mind is that you're educating your audience over the long term. And then the last one is putting a focus on higher level sales reps, because that was one of the bigger frustrations in this logistics marketing survey is that, you know, you've done all of the right things. You've got a shipper to notice you. And then they come to your website And first of all, they can't book a meeting with you because it's too complicated. But then when they do reach out to you, when they do pick up the phone and maybe call you, then they're getting an entry level salesperson and they're not getting someone. These are, you know, higher up executives that expect to speak to someone who is knowledgeable when instead they're getting the entry level salespeople that are answering the phones and they can't really answer the questions that they have on the phone or via email. And so they're resorted to, you know, bouncing around to different representatives. And by that time, the executive has wasted enough time already. They're just going to move on to the next person that they thought of in their list. So keeping those three tactics in mind, let's talk about a few takeaways. Because the first takeaway that I want to shine a light on is the importance of playing that long game because word of mouth still and always will be king. Let's put up that first, you know, sort of page nine from this study. And I have a link to the study in case you want to download it. Um, It's a PDF link in the show notes. Um, But word of mouth referral that acts as a personal brand using social media, this stat is incredible. If you're looking at the this image on the screen, you'll notice on the, the graphic on the far right, you will see that 23% are, are reaching out to a new carrier or a new broker because it was recommended by a colleague. Then that very next one 
is that that service provider has a reputation for the service or the product that they need. So 23% are recommended, are, are finding new carrier partners, new broker partners because of a recommendation from a colleague. So get those referrals in. Then that next step that, you know, we really want to put a strong focus on is that strong reputation for the service or product needed. So are you putting information out onto social media? Are you putting information out into the world that says, hey, I do X, Y, Z really, really well. I do it better than my competition. Are you answering those questions with your social media? Because even if the situation isn't right for, you know, maybe a current customer that you have, um, maybe they're, you know, you're trying to work with another customer. um, And so with that other customer, they're not interested right now, but they could refer you because of your specialty, because of what you're focusing on. So that was a really important takeaway. And I thought that was another, uh, on that same graphic, there was another part that I'm actually going to do a future show or a future uh, segment on. And it's only 10% of the surveyed shippers find a logistics partner through internet search. That is down 5% from 2020. And we're going to dive in deeper than that because I think that there's a lot of freight companies out here who are focusing heavily on SEO organic blogs, you know, things like that, you know, a couple thousand word articles, or maybe it's a thousand word article or 500. But there's a lot of freight companies out here who are focusing long term on SEO. And this study shows that shippers are less and less likely to use that form of, of internet discovery in order to find your company. So if you're investing a lot of time into SEO, you might want to rethink the distribution of your content marketing strategy because of what seems to be working and what these shippers actually prefer to be contacted. So it's referral or being recommended, highly recommended and highly experienced within that particular service or that product. Now, the next one is the importance of building a content library specific to the customer you're trying to sell to. Now, that slide we just showed, it said the second most leading indicator was having a strong reputation. So are you showcasing that in your branding? Are you showcasing that on your social media profiles? You know, maybe you have some sales reps that are creating some LinkedIn messaging or some social media messaging. Are they talking about those specialties that your company specializes in? Do you have a niche? Or are you saying yes to everyone or all kinds of freight, which is very common. But from a marketing and branding perspective, you really want to take a chance to or, or take the opportunity to dive into your numbers to see what freight, what commodity, what lanes are you moving the best, better out of everything else that comparable to everything else that you're running, which ones are you running the best? Which ones are the most profitable? And then you can find some similarities and be able to showcase that on all of your digital profiles. Because remember, your website is the last part of that sales research. When somebody looks at your website, they decide if they're going to book a meeting with you or pick up the phone and call you, or they're going to move on to somebody else. You need to make sure that you handle messaging appropriately. And then the next step that I want to bring up is, do you have, speaking of the niches, do you have that niche or specialty clearly defined? Because in this screenshot that we're going to show you is from page five of the report, 77% of shippers want emails, not phone calls. I know you, the, the, the old way of doing things in this industry is really taking, you know, a, a new broker and putting them down, or maybe they're fresh out of college and sitting them down at the phones and making them do a hundred cold calls a day. And they're all calling cold leads. This, this survey right here, it's very, it's, it's actually 
this similar numbers as of what it was in 2020, but we still have a lot of brokerages out here that are making 100 phone calls a day and shippers are saying overwhelmingly, do not cold call me. They want emails, but they want emails that are specific to them. They don't want to feel like they have mass, you know, a mass amount of communication, that this is a mass email. You can kind of tell that pretty immediately if someone is emailing you directly or if they're emailing a bunch of people and just hoping to cast a wide net and, you know, catch, you know, a, a, a few fish at a time when if you were strategic about it, then you would at least spend the five minutes in order to research a company before you reach out to them and before you cold email them. Because that was overwhelmingly what a lot of these shippers talked about in this survey is that if you're going to reach out to me, at least make sure you've done the bare minimum amount of research. Now that bonus step of, of you know, as we mark out our, our marketing plans and our strategy, especially from website to social to cold emailing. But another thing that you want to make sure that you do too, is whoever you're reaching out to connect with them on LinkedIn, because in this same study, the, is the, the LinkedIn use of who is or how these shippers are interacting with social media, what platforms they're going to. An overwhelming majority of them now use LinkedIn at least once a week. That is up from the 20, from 2016, where it was about 50% of people. Now it's up to 78% of people are using LinkedIn at least once a week. So if you could just do the bare minimum and do five minutes of research on these companies, connect with them on LinkedIn, you know, post relevant content that you think that they would enjoy, you are light years ahead of your competition simply by doing those little things and being able to to share, you know, a, a, a message that is highly targeted to the people that you're trying to reach, that you're trying to email, that you're maybe cold calling at the same time. So if you're doing all of those things, at least make sure at the bare minimum, you connect with them on LinkedIn, you connect with them maybe on another social media app of their choice. And then that way you are sharing that consistent messaging. So even though they might not be in the buying cycle right now, we've talked about this before that 95% of people are not actively shopping a new provider that only 5% ever are really actively shopping a new provider, but there's still tremendous amount of value and advertising to or marketing to that 95% of people who aren't ready to buy yet, especially if you have your targeted messaging down pat. Now, you know about all the data. We, we've talked about all of the different data points and how video is extremely important and being authentic and, and being, you know, showing the relatable side and the educational side of the role that you fulfill. And now you know that they that shippers want emails. They don't want cold calls. 77% of them want emails and they want those emails to be targeted to them. So the next step and the most important step, you cannot mess this up, but once they talk about once you get your message out there, you need to make sure that you have some kind of way to convert that lead or convert that prospect into a a, a qualified lead. And, and so that all happens on your website because guess what's going to happen? They're going to see your social media messaging over, you know, maybe six to eight months. Then they're finally going to be ready. It's going to take one day that one of their carriers maybe falls off or, or misses a load. And then that's one day that they are going to remember your company. They're going to come to Google your website. They're going to go to your website. And if there isn't an easy way for them to convert on your site, they're going to move on to the next person because they need their problem solved. And so you need to make sure that you have a way for them to convert. And then when that person is converting, make sure that they are connected with somebody who has a knowledge-based insight into what they're reaching out about. It's so much of a difference in how you approach a high intent lead, somebody who is ready to buy, 
versus a cold lead who maybe downloaded an ebook who probably will never likely ever become a customer. Those quote unquote leads are completely different than somebody who has seen your social media messaging, who has seen your marketing and has maybe gotten a couple cold emails, but didn't respond. And when they are ready to convert, they're ready to convert and they're ready to talk to somebody who is knowledgeable because this quote directly pulled from one of the shippers says, make your company easily findable on the internet and have a detailed website that answers my questions. Then provide easy protocols to put me in touch with someone who actually knows what the heck they're talking about. Don't waste these people's time. And that is what the crux, I think, of all of this comes down to is that if you just follow their communication specifications and you you really go above and beyond as far as your content strategy and really, and when I say above and beyond, I mean just creating educational content that fits within the niche that you're trying to reach. So do those things, do that bare minimum, and you are sitting pretty and you're probably sitting prettier than a lot of these other companies that are just relying on putting a, you know, a fresh-faced college kid, sitting him down at a desk and telling him to pound the phones for, you know, all day, every day for their first three months, you know, working at a brokerage office or, you know, maybe any of these other brokerages offices out here. So just keep all of that in mind because I really feel like that, you know, we have to take the criticisms from the shippers in order to know how they want to be reached Otherwise, you're just wasting a lot of time. You're wasting a lot of energy. Make sure you have that flow set up correctly. So then that way, all of the work that you're putting out on social media doesn't go to waste. All right, well, let's get into our first interview because I'm really excited to, to talk to Denisha because she is the CEO and CFO of Transpost CFO. And now let's go ahead and welcome her in because we really have to talk about a lot of the, I guess, the unsexy parts, but important parts of running a freight company. And you have the the background in order to help us with those issues. So Denisha, welcome into the show. Thank you for having me. Now you have, I, I was listening to an interview that you had on, on, on Truck and Hustle, and you have a really interesting background. You, you played pro ball over in Sweden, <laughs> point guard. Um, I love that you came from sports because I feel like sports <laughs> helps us out in you know, so many other I- industries and so many other aspects of life. But what brought you back to the States? What brought you to the point of saying, you know, I'm going to start my own business? So coming back to the States was um, my father and my grandfather both passed away when I was overseas playing basketball. Mm -hmm. And so I had about four deals after that that I ended up turning down um, just because I guess to an extent I was a little jaded in terms of I thought that if I was away or if I was that far away again, something else would happen. I associated basketball with death at that point. So Mm -hmm. I made a decision to... uh, I moved, I came back to Atlanta, which is where I was staying at prior to going overseas. And when I came back to Atlanta, that's when I got, I got a job. I just got a temporary job because I was kind of still open to basketball, but um, I started making it. I I got a job at Home Depot doing some HR work for them. From there, I ended up getting, I say about four months later, I ended up getting my, my first accounting job, which is what I went to school for. So my degrees are in marketing and accounting. Um, so I got my first accounting job and ironically, I ended up getting another deal um, to go back overseas uh, shortly after getting my first accounting job. But I turned that down, my first accounting job in Atlanta, but I turned that down just because I felt like this was the start of my career. I didn't really know like that, that particular deal was a short deal. It was only three months and you weren't guaranteed to get another deal from there. So I, I chose to stay in the corporate world. And then from there, that's how I got into accounting. Um, I worked in, uh, I did corporate accounting uh, more so for a corporation for about three years. 
And then I switched over to the public side from from there. I had gained an entrance, uh, interest, excuse me, in uh, taxation. And so I ended up switching over to the public accounting world. So I, my, my next job from there was working at a CPA firm. And so when you're, you're, it's fascinating that you say you had, you took an interest in taxation because I feel like that for a lot of business owners, <laughs> that is where we're like, no, I'm not, I'm not focused on that at all. But it is something that we should absolutely be focused on, especially for a lot of these smaller truck carriers out here. You know, I think it's, I heard the stat, you know, 90% of all trucking companies have seven trucks or less. And so with a lot of these guys, you know, or, and women too, you know, they are one breakdown away from going out of business. So, so how did you ultimately, you know, decide to focus your efforts on the trucking side of things? So with that, um, I kept getting, so I, so let me, let me come back. So I work corporate or I worked for someone, um, for, for quite a while, um, various industries, a lot of the industries were more so in the, in the medical side of things. Um, Mm -hmm. but when I went out on my own, I had a friend of mine that, uh, at the time she worked for Sprint, but she worked with, she was heavy logistics. So she, she, uh, target the truckers for a sprint or they had, I guess, accounts with sprint. And so she was telling me that a lot of those guys don't have accounting. And so that raised an eyebrow because that's, that's that small business lane that I'm interested in. And so, um, I ended up picking up a few trucker clients or transportation clients from there, um, with a separate company that I own great financial. And then from there, uh, fast forward to a, to years later, a partner or a friend of mine, we came together and we formed Transpo CFO um, because he was heavy in the trucking space as well. And he noticed that even from his experience, a lot of trucking companies did not have accounting. And so we mm-hmm. came together um, and combined our efforts to create a, an accounting firm specifically for the truckers or specifically for the transportation industry. Now, another thing that I, I thought was really interesting in that interview is that you you talked about how you had worked for, you know, big companies that made like over, mm-hmm. you know, 50 million in, in revenue. And for a lot of smaller trucking companies, they, they're, you know, they hope to see that one day. Um, but tell me a little bit about, I guess, the differences in, is it different accounting practices between, you know, a smaller company versus a bigger company? Or is it just the bigger companies know about a lot of the different, you know, sort of tax and accounting principles? I think honestly, the the big thing from what I see is a lot of big companies they know that the importance of an accountant uh, or of mm-hmm. having an accountant on their team. They know the importance of having a CPA. They know the importance of needing someone not more than just once a year. So I'm not going to this person just to do my taxes. I need this person um, to strategize me, to tax plan me, to help me throughout the year. I think that's the the biggest shift between a small business and a large company. The, the the larger companies that I've worked for or that I've worked with, they they had they may have an internal team doing a lot of the work and then they come and they want that high level strategy from from their CPA or from when I work when I did work for uh, larger CPA firms. Whereas like so for with the smaller me- business, we don't find the importance or the value in accounting. And why do you why do you think that is? Is it you know maybe just something another thing to add to their plate? Are there th- certain things yep. that you know with the smaller companies that they should absolutely be looking out for whenever they're they're doing their books or whenever they need somebody to do their books? Are there certain common things that I guess the smaller companies fall for or maybe miss out on? So I would say sometimes it's uh, d- different deductions throughout the year. So if you or or even tax planning, let's say tax planning, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of smaller companies, if they're structured or set up as a single member LLC. Most of the time, they're probably not doing um, their estimated quarterly tax payments. So at the end of the year, you may end up owing $15,000, depending on how much money you make. 
Um, whereas if you were seeking that counsel of an accountant throughout the year, um, you can one properly plan, plan for those estimated payments based on because we can we can tax plan you based on how much you're making per quarter or hmm. we can even change the way you're structured um, or taxed. So a lot of times, sometimes with, with the single member LLCs, you're paying an extra 15.3 percent in self-employment taxes. But it may be better or may, may be more advantageous for you to be taxed as an S corporation. Now, everyone shouldn't be taxed as an S corporation, but we can help you identify if you should be taxed as one or not. And what does that look like? How much money can you save? And that's you bring up such a great point because I remember my first year in business that I did not pay quarterly taxes. And when that tax bill came due, I nearly had a heart attack at the end of the year. Yep. So I swore that that would <laughs> never happen again. Now, I, I, another sort of a, a you know entry level new question that I have because I just upgraded, you know, my CPA and my accounting, you know, I kind of outgrew my my old solution and grew into a new solution. And what I really found interesting in, in, in your interview with Truck and Hustle is that you said that there are bigger firms that have separate divisions for taxes, uh, personal taxes, accounting, bookkeeping. Is, is there any pros and cons to, to having those separate, separate entities taking care of those things? Or should they really be all under one house? What, what are the pros and cons, I guess, of having it separated versus together. So in, in the interview, what I referenced was like, so the firm that the larger firm that I worked at, um, so when I worked at a smaller firm, we got exposure to everything. We being the employee, we got exposure to everything. So I was exposed to how to do a, a company's books from start to finish, uh, how to do their corporate tax return, how to do their individual tax return, how to tax plan them. I literally did everything from start to finish. Whereas when I went to a larger firm, um, the firm that where they're they're focusing on obviously the client that has way more revenue, everything was segmented out. So they had a, a client accounting specific team. They had a a team that only did business returns. They had a team that only did individual returns. I think that the value in that is uh, you have more experts in one particular area, right? Like if I'm only doing business returns, then I know business returns. But I think that the value in the small business is we get to see the full picture. So if we're if we're seeing the full picture, then I can I can properly speak to what you should be doing on your individual taxation side versus what you how that carries forward from your business side. Same thing with your financials. A lot of times, honestly, with that small with that larger uh, firm that I work for, the person that's doing an individual tax return, they didn't know how to do accounting, even though they had accounting degree. They didn't know how to do accounting. They did not know how to look at someone's books and and properly reconcile their books or how to read the balance sheet, how to how to really read the profit and loss statement. So it, I feel like it's a catch twenty a catch twenty two. Like it, it's you know, I was fortunate enough to to have the best of both worlds and I spent a lot of my time in the smaller firm world where I got exposure to everything. I hope that that's super your smart. Question. Well, yeah, because it's super smart because I was always wondering, well, why wouldn't you want to keep all of that together? But like you said, if you have ex you have access to, to more experts, maybe you have extra eyeballs on, on mm -hmm. things that you could be taking advantage of that maybe somebody else would miss. But it feels more, I, I guess, advantageous to to keep that all together. Um, so when you have, I guess, some of these these trucking companies that are coming to you, what does the, I guess, the setup process look like? Are, are there certain things that you're looking out for in order to help them, you know, uh, save money on their taxes, you know, have a better accounting process? What does that, I guess, onboarding look like for these guys and, and gals? So when we onboard a client, the first thing we do is we get them acclimated to our chart of accounts because 
we um we for our for our CFO, so we have two packages. Let me start there. We have a basic bookkeeping package and we have a CFO package. For our CFO package, they get to talk to a CPA every single month to review their numbers mm-hmm. with them. With that package, we also like to benchmark our clients. So since we have a uh, this is a, a niche industry, we can benchmark our clients against others in the industry as well. So uh, when they come, when a client comes on board, the onboarding process is we get access uh, where we set them we we set them up with our standardized chart of accounts because we want every client's chart of accounts to look the same. Uh, from there. Once we get the books cleaned up, a lot of a lot of times these guys or these ladies do not have uh, accounting in place. So we might have to go back, depending on how far back they need to go, and we'll clean up their books for them. Uh, once we get their books cleaned up for them, then we like to issue financials by the 10th of every month. And so going forward, you'll get your financials, your financials by the 10th of every month once we get it all cleaned up. But the cleanup process is strenuous because we may have to ask you a lot of questions just so we can get to know you because every client is different. Uh, and then from there, going forward, what we like to do, uh, if you're in the basic bookkeeping package, we like to identify, you know, you may not get that that personalized call every month, but we do still want to add value. So we like to give you maybe three things or three items where you're above industry standards that you should be mindful of um, and and we'll point them out for you. But so that you're, you're aware of it and then maybe you can do a little bit more research to identify why you're above industry standards. Why did you spend more than what you should have spent in that particular category? Um, obviously we're not thinking of anything like fuel because fuel is, is just high right now, but it's those other categories, um, like driver pay or maintenance or just whatever that we may figure out, okay, how do you get this cost down or administrative costs? How do you get this cost down? Could be factoring. Uh, we have a good factoring relationship where, uh, if you're paying 3% for factoring, we may be able to get that factoring right now for you. We have a insurance relationships, same thing where you may be overpaying for your insurance and we can connect you with our, our insurance agent to get that cost down as well. That's uh, on, on the on the CFO side. Um, that's that additional handholding that we do. We we really, really focus on cost and minimizing costs. A lot of these fleet owners, they focus on just growing their revenue. But when you grow your revenue, most of the time you're only reducing to 20 cents from your bottom line. So we focus on how can we minimize your cost some more so that you can take more money home. Hmm. I love that because it really sounds like, you know, for for a lot of these companies, these are the companies that need your kind of expertise, that need that mm-hmm. extra, especially initial handholding. And and I love that you're providing that that kind of expertise and that financial advice in order to keep these guys in business and these and these gals in business too. Now for, you know, time for a couple more questions. I did want to know how, you know, being mm-hmm. a former athlete and how that affects, you know, you running your business today. Do, do you think it helped or do you think it's hurt? Um, do you think it may be a little bit of both? So I would say it helps in a sense of, I feel like as a point guard, you know, that's, that's the floor general. You're the leader of the floor, you're the leader of the team in a sense, because you have to be the most vocal. You call out the plays, you're really navigating everyone on the team, making sure everyone is in their right spot when it's time to run a play. I think that that helps um, in business as well, because by, by me being the owner, I have to make sure that everything is running smoothly. I also, it also helps me identify that I need my team. I cannot do this alone. Right. So um, the importance of team and the value of team, I think that that's very important. And that carries forward from an athlete as well, because, you know, as an athlete, you can't do it all by yourself. You could try, but you're probably going to lose. I love that. I, I think that for a lot of the, these trucking companies that are working with you, they are extremely happy to have you <laughs> as part of their team. 
So Denisha, thank you so much for, for sharing your expertise. Where can folks, you know, follow more of your work? Where can they reach out to, you know, to trans, Transpose CFO, all that good stuff. Thank you again for having me. It has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you. So um, all of our social media, social media handles are Transpose CFO. T-R-A-N-S-P-O-C-F-O. So that's on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn. We're Transpo CFO. And our website is www.transposecfo.com. Awesome. We will link all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your ex- expertise because a-, a lot of companies need it. And and hopefully we can you know help some of these companies you know stay out of you know, entering you. the danger zone when it comes to their financials. So thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was, I mean, it, it, we, we say, you know, things like, oh, it's the unsexy part of, of running your business. And sure it is, you know, maybe some people really love to crunch the numbers. Um, it, but as a business owner, you really have to know your numbers in order to survive, especially in this kind of economy, especially, you know, if people are starting to spend less and prices are increasing. So you definitely want to make sure that you have a lot of those, a, a lot of your bases covered, especially, you know, controlling where you can control. She mentioned that, we can't necessarily control fuel pr- fuel prices, but maybe you can control your maintenance bills and set those industry benchmarks against something else that, you know, seeing where you you fall as far as your maintenance costs are concerned and some of those other industry benchmarks that she mentioned. So really, really valuable insight. Now, before we bring on our next guest, let's talk about the Moon Air Group because want to boost your bottom line? Start with hiring the right talent. The Moon Air Group is a leading recruiting firm that specializes in identifying the top logistics and technology talent. Take the first step towards growing your business by visiting moonairgroup.com. And now for our next interview, another, you know, sort of, I guess, quote unquote, unsexy part of, of running your business is compliance. So let's go ahead and bring in Nick Salas. He is the COO of Fleet Drive 360. So welcome in, Nick. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, now in a, a similar fashion, I was listening to another interview that that you had done, Truck and Hustle. So shout out to them. They've been a guest on the show, you know, a couple of times. Um, always really, really great insight. And and what I thought was really interesting about your your background is that you come from the construction side of things. So you're on the shipper side of things where you're having, you know, folks reach out to you in order to haul your freight. Now you're on the other side of things where you are helping the haulers of freight. So, so give us a little bit of a, a background into why you, you joined the trucking industry and, and specifically started up, you know, Fleet Drive 360. So the reason I joined is all about our leadership team. And it's not necessarily what you do in life, but the manner in which you do it that really makes a difference. So I, the, the guys that I was exposed to, Kevin, our CEO, uh, Ohm and DeMarco is our CMO and CTO. Uh, they've been in this business for a long time. They have a passion for this business. They ran into problems that they experienced while running dispatchers and carriers and factoring businesses. Uh, and it was their frustration that led to the creation of this product. So when I sat down with them and, and got a chance to hear the story of this business and, and kind of hear what they wanted to do and, and the passion they had behind it, it was hard not to just jump in with both feet. Um, you know, it's helping people. And I grew up in small business. I grew up utilizing these services and being able to, to help people uh, to drive money to their bottom line, kind of like your last, uh, last guest was talking about, uh, and to take one of those list of things of all the stuff they have to do to, to kind of minimize that or clean it up. Uh, making their life easier. Uh, that was important to me. And so with, with, with Fleet Drive 360, you, you talk about compliance. Now, at, at a very high level, what does compliance refer to in the trucking industry? 
man, there's so many different uh, <laughs> ways you can space that out. It's and like you said, not a single one of them is attractive. Uh, so compliance could be drug and alcohol testing, random testing pools. It could be record keeping. It could be maintenance logs. Um, it could simply be just the interview process and hiring process. The, the compliance kind of phrase or world touches almost every aspect of what these guys do. Uh, and, and there's no really easy or clean way for them to know what they need to do. And that's kind of where we came in. And so when you're, you're, I guess, talking about from a compliance standpoint, Fleet, Fleet Drive 360, what does that, is it, is it a, it's a SaaS-based solution? Um, how does it sort of, I guess, fit into the work day? How are, you know, how are you onboarding a new person? What are they coming to you to, to what problem are you solving for them? Okay. Uh, it's funny. We were just talking about this on our leadership chat channel. So the problems that we are solving is two of them. One is return on attention. And that to me is the single most important thing that any business owner, regardless of their, their business should be focusing on. How much time and effort am I putting into an issue? And then what return do I see from that time and effort to my bottom line? Um, you know, am I spending the limited time that I have in the wisest manner? Um, so I, I'd see that that's the biggest problem that we're solving is we're letting them know when they need to pay attention to compliance. We're giving them an alert system and notification system to kind of make it easy and eliminate that, that giant list of all you have to do. Now for somebody that's driving a non-CDL vehicle, it's one owner operator, they're staying in trust state, the amount of compliance issues they have to deal with are minuscule. And it's something that they really could do on their own if they wanted to. Uh, but as you go, uh, uh, interstate, as you start driving a CDL vehicle, as you start hiring people, the list of stuff that you have to keep your hands on can grow and grow exponentially. So we give them a platform that allows them to organize their data, to store all of the compliance relevant data in one place. And then we let them know when something's coming up that they need to pay attention to. Uh, like I said, that, that all you have to do uh, phrase is that that's not allowed to be spoken when we talk about development for our program or, or kind of how we run our business, because we know that that's one thing our clients can't deal with. And so I, I love that phrase, that return on attention, because as a, as a business owner, you're, you're spread so thin and you have to manage so many different things and wear all of the hats that compliance and paperwork just feels like such a boring part. But it, it really is, you know, one of the most important pieces to running a business, because I think you said if you have one violation that it could potentially put you out of business. Is that is that correct? Yeah, and, it, and it depends on the violations as well. Um, you know, I mean, something small, you might get a slap on the wrist, you might get a monetary fine and, and just told, hey, you need to pick things up and take care of it. Uh, coming back from grabbing a sandwich today, I was on the phone with one of our clients and uh, he's got a truck stuck in Mississippi at a wrecker. Uh, his uh, driver got a citation for a brake issue in New York and didn't get it fixed. And, uh, and then got pulled over in Mississippi and they saw that he was cited. He didn't get it fixed. He's driving an unsafe vehicle. Uh, and everything steamrolled from there. And all the problems that he now has to deal with and the hit on his safety rating, just because people didn't take care of that one little thing. So, I mean, it can be pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, that that sounds, I mean, it sounds like something that we've all done that, you know, hey, you know, you, you need to get something fixed and then you put it off, you put it off. And then before long, it comes back to to, to bite you in the ass. And, and for, I think for a lot of these company owners, you know, having a truck go down, you know, a driver go down, you know, for a week, that costs a lot of money. So I guess how well, does yeah. the, go, go ahead. Well, it's not just, it's not just the cost that you're losing. You know, you still have to pay your driver. You know, they're, they're expecting an income. Uh, you still have to pay your vendors. You still have uh, any previous invoices that are outstanding, but also most importantly is lost revenue. 
You've got loads booked. You've got clients that are depending on you. And this goes back to my previous life. I don't care what's wrong. I, I don't care why your truck's not. I, you said a truck was going to be here at eight o'clock. I've got a container of uh, equipment that needs to make it to California. Get it there. Uh, and, and if my carrier consistently can't perform that duty, I'm going to go find another one. So the impact is not just in specific straight line costs, but lost revenue or customer ill will. It can kind of spider out a little bit, I guess. And this might sound like a dumb question, but you know, you mentioned earlier about how you know the, this this driver got cited. So when he gets cited for you know a brake malfunction, who's responsible, I guess, for following up on that? Is it is this record keeping? Is it um, are you the the company owner keeping the records of these different violations, or is it basically just an honor system that you just hope that they you know will will let you know? Or is there any kind of I guess outside third party that is monitoring, is like DOT that is monitoring these citations. Tell me a little bit about how, I guess, how that process works with like the citation and, and rectifying the citation. So if I get a citation uh, for something that needs to be fixed, uh, there's a specific chain of events that I have to go through. I've got to take that citation. I've got to go get it, uh, the repair made. Uh, I've got to take the repair order that's signed off on by the guy that repaired it. I've got to uh, go visually inspect and verify myself as the driver that the repair was made or a company employee. Uh, and only then, once all of this is done, can I get back in the truck and start moving? And uh, And that's where kind of this difficult spot comes for these guys is the carrier has to trust the driver is communicating everything clearly. He has to know what's going on. He has to know that his driver is taking care of the things he's supposed to take care of. But the liability lies on the carrier. It's your DOT number. If one of your drivers screws up, it's your business that's going out of service. Yes, there will be repercussions for a driver, but it's still everything falls on that carrier. That's, uh, that's crazy that, you know, the one little thing that you might miss or that a driver might put off could really put you out of business. Now, now for a lot of these carriers well, that, you know, we said earlier in the show, oh, go ahead. No, I just want to unpack that a little bit. So this was a big deal, right? I mean, brakes, it's safety sensitive. Uh, he had a brake issue. He was driving an unsafe vehicle. I mean, it's a CDL vehicle. It was 50 some odd thousand pounds loaded up driving down the road. That's a pretty big missile. Um, but it could be even something small and stupid, like just not filing a biennial update uh, or not having the right record keeping that could put a truck or a company out of service uh, and, and all the issues that are associated with getting it corrected. And so that's I, I would imagine that, you know, from, from listening to the interview and listening to the conversation here, that that Fleet Drive 360, that is essentially your bread and butter, that you are making sure that they get notified, that they they're, they're even the smallest paperwork or the, the smallest little thing that may have been missed by a lot of these carriers. You're making sure that that's front and center for them. Is that typically how it fits into their work day? Are they, you know, getting notified? Is this a, a platform that they have to check daily or weekly? Or is it really you only hear from from your company whenever there's something that requires attention? So it depends on how deep they want to go. So we have a, a, a dashboard that shows them everything that's coming up, everything that is expired, any, any actions that they need to take. Uh, you've got your drug and alcohol module inside of that if they need their random testing pools or have a reasonable suspicion issue, anything like that. Um, but it's the notification system where we really shine. So just like any system, just like any program, hell, just like any vehicle, crap in, crap out. If you put the wrong gas in a vehicle, it's not going to run. Um, so assuming our clients have loaded their information correctly, uh, they've put all the right dates and all the right you know documents in, they're going to get notified in some cases a month or two months in advance, and in other cases, 15 days in advance, seven days in advance, and then the day before an expiry, hey, something's up. Something's going on in your business with relation to compliance. You need to pay attention. 
You know, it's that, that kid jumping up and down and waving his hands. Hey, 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 over here, over here. And that's when it's time for them to put their attention on what we do. Um, they have access to the dashboard. They can see it anytime they want. But we really start jumping up and down, screaming with text message and email notifications as these expiring events start getting closer. Smart. I mean, I, it sounds like a, a safety net for a, a lot of these companies. And, and speaking of a safety net, you know, in, in that same interview, you were talking about how you also help companies with a DOT audit. And I can remember working in a, in a brokerage office or asset-based brokerage office. And when the DOT came in, it was it was almost like the days of, you know, working at a restaurant, the health department's coming in. It's all hands on deck. Everybody's cleaning something. Everybody's doing something for, for DOT when they come in the office. How are you guys helping, you know, uh, maybe a company that is experiencing their first DOT audit? So we get a lot of new entrants and and I want to give kind of some perspective on that. Our program is not made for new entrants, but we were really, really careful that we designed it to facilitate their needs. Not everybody is a giant company with, you know, 50 trucks out there. We'd certainly serve those companies. We have a number of them on board and we we do a good job in our program for it. But we think about the little guy who doesn't know what he needs to know uh, and doesn't know all the things he has to do. I mean, there were 44,000 new entrant safety audits in 2020. Uh, 15,400 of those resulted in out-of-service orders. So sometimes we'll get guys right at the very beginning. Hey, I've just got my carrier. I know compliance is a thing because I've been driving for a bigger company. Uh, I want to get hooked up with you so I have a good foundation. And that's the number one thing we recommend. You can't build a house on a bad foundation. Uh, the other guys, we get calls. And, and one happened two days ago. I got a call from a guy. Hey, I got my new entrant audit letter in the mail. I have 20 days to upload all these documents and I haven't been doing anything. I don't know even what documents these are or what I need to keep or how to upload them. Where do I start? And that's where we begin our process and we get in and we'll do a full audit of their entire compliance process, the system, the documents that they upload uh, and make sure that they're compliant before they walk into that audit. I mean, it's it's stuff that you you it's important people put it on the back burner they might not know right away that they need the, you know the different levels of compliance but it, it sounds like you guys are offering you know the perfect solution for a lot of these you know these small to medium sized businesses in order to keep up with the joneses keep up with the bigger guys um, where all right nick uh, final question where can folks you know maybe sign up for fleet drive 360 you know follow more of your work learn more about what you guys are offering uh, best way to get us, 470-598-1501. Uh, that's our home number. Uh, also, fleetdrive360.com. We've got all the, the popular kids at school as far as the uh, social networks, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. So find us at Fleet Drive 360 there. Uh, but what we'd really encourage people, pick up the phone and call us, uh, send us an email and just say, this is what my problem is. Uh, this is what I'm facing. This is what I'm struggling with. And, and we can pick up the conversation from there. Uh, and if you don't mind, I think I just make one more point. You don't have to sure. use us for every aspect of the compliance world. Uh, you mm -hmm. can pick and choose. So we have drug and alcohol consortiums. We can build DQ files with our system. There's a lot of things we can do. Uh, but the only thing that we have to charge for, if, if you want to get into our system, it's $5 per driver per month. And that gets them into the system. It allows them to use our notifications platform. It allows them to upload and organize their documents and make sure that they're ready for these audits. How far they go beyond that is just up to what their needs are. I love that. So you, you mentioned earlier about helping them with the foundation and helping them grow as they grow, it sounds like, at a very, very affordable rate, which, you know, if you obviously don't use it, then it'll probably cost you a lot more in the long run. So thank you, Nick, so much for, for cool. that perspective. It's really, really important. Thank you very much for having us. Absolutely. 
Now, I know a, lo- a couple of those topics. There might not be, you know, that, like we said, you used it a, a couple times in the show already, that the unsexy parts of running your business, but they are vitally important, especially, you know, as right now, it's always important, but it's vitally important right now, especially with everything that's going on with the economy, rising prices and, and you know, a, a recession that is already here. You know, it's more important than ever to really focus on getting your fundamentals right and getting that foundation right so that you can survive through any kind of turmoil and then be come out on the other side and be able to thrive in the future. All right, we got a few minutes left in the show and I want to make sure that I hit this because the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, it is probably one of the most disgusting things about humanity that we uh, have, you know, I, I guess inflicted onto the world, but is a size of plastic pollution, mostly plastic pollution that is twice the size of, or is twice the size of the country of France. It's three times, I think, the size of yeah, it's twice the size of Texas and three times the size of France. So I got my numbers a little bit mixed up there, but it's basically located between California and Hawaii. It's a giant garbage patch that is uh, trying, the attempt is to clean up the majority of the plastic that's in that ocean that's just floating around and, and just looking gross. But good news is that there is a new company that has been working on solving this complicated problem. And they're doing they're finally reached a really great uh, milestone. So before that, we we show the video uh, milestone that they have reached. Now to kind of understand about what the ocean cleanup is doing is that they're a nonprofit organization that's essentially taking two giant ships, one on each side, and they have a net hooked up. So it's kind of U-shaped and the net is U-shaped. So one ship has one end and then the other ship has the other end. And then all of the plastic or all of the pollution that's floating in the ocean, it kind of gets caught in like this catch-all net. And then the, the it gets funneled into this other net that actually collects the garbage. Now, with both of these nets, they are wildlife, so they're, they're marine life safe. So marine life, they're, they're very concerned about that as well. So if anybody, you know, any of these, you know, animals get caught in the giant net, they, they're, it's made so that the animals can free themselves. But if, you know, maybe like a bigger animal or a bigger mammal gets caught in one of these nets, they will stop operations, they will cease them in order to make sure that that animal gets out safely. So with this big accomplishment, they're trying to to tackle that big garbage patch in the ocean. But another aspect of what they're trying to solve too is the pollution coming from the rivers because only 1% of rivers are responsible for 80% of plastic entering our oceans. And what you're looking at on the screen is one of these smaller ships that are using sort of the same sort of methodology that they're using in the ocean. They're using it in rivers in order to prevent that plastic from ever going out into the ocean to begin with. So they're tackling it in really like two folds. So 1% of rivers are responsible for 80% of the ocean plastic, which is crazy. But uh, 90% of that floating ocean plastic is still there, but they just recently hit a major milestone in collection of that garbage. Let's play the clip. Now, in this video right here, what you're seeing is all of the trash that has been collected. A hundred thousand kilograms of plastic has now been removed from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And it's really gross to, to sort of look at, but it's a major accomplishment because all these guys, and in, in partnership with companies like Maersk, what they're doing is they're they're accepting sponsorships. It's a nonprofit organization. You can also donate to the organization if you like, but they're collecting all of this garbage, but it's still only one hundredth or one one thousandth of all of the garbage that still needs to be collected. Now you're seeing on the screen, it looks like a ton that they've already collected, but they still have 
much more to go. But a really cool part of this story also is that uh, founder Boyan Salat, he's 18 years old, and he is the youngest ever recipient of the UN's highest environmental award, which is really awesome to see because he's a young guy trying to solve a really big problem. And they've reached a major milestone. So go and check them out at theoceancleanup.com if you want to learn more. All right, that about does it for this week's show. My name is Blythe Bromley. If you want to catch more of my work, head on over to everythingislogistics.com. But we will be back next Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with another episode of Cyberly.